You're listening to Trial by Media, a behind-the-scenes true crime podcast. We'll lift the lid on crime and how it's covered, bringing you the biggest cases from Britain's courts. You've read the coverage. Here's the full story. We have open justice in this country. You have the right as a citizen to walk into any court in the country as your fancy takes you and see how justice is done. That's a pinnacle of our justice system, open justice. Now, COVID makes it a bit trickier sometimes, but it doesn't change the principle that every single person listening to this has the right to walk into any courtroom in the country. And you all should, because it's drama. It's full of clever people in camp costumes making dramatic statements with huge stakes. It's a sort of theatre. It even has an audience, the jury, but not in a youth court. You are not allowed in youth courts. Lawyers come in and out for their cases, but they don't hang around. So apart from the judge, Clark and Usher, we are the only ones who see the trends, the patterns and the pitfalls. So this really is peeking behind the courtroom. You'll be hearing from Sophia Derue, Carolina Harantz-Card and Cameron Charters. I'm your host, Charlie Jones. We'll be talking about Jodie Chesner's killer, the kids who attack two women on a night bus because they refuse to kiss, a 16-year-old rapist who was sentenced as an adult. So... Let's get criminal. So first of all, what is a youth court? Carolina? So a youth court is a magistrate's or a lower level, you know, for more minor offences. Court for children aged 10 to 17. Cases are heard by specifically trained district judges or a bench of three volunteers, like a normal magistrate's court. The youth court is also closed to the public, except press parents of the youth and possibly the investigating officer. So is there a difference? Is everyone who's under 18 tried in a youth court? Does it does it make a difference if you're 13 or 17, for example, Sophia? Well, first of all, the um, age of criminal responsibility for when you can be charged with a crime is 10 in the UK. So any children under that they are not going to be prosecuted. In terms of, uh, there are differences. So um, children aged between 10 and 14 are referred to, under 14 are referred to as children, whereas children aged, I believe, 14 to 17 are young people. And accordingly, the sentence and how they're treated by the court varies because of that, because younger offenders are generally understood not to even understand the, uh, the court process as well. So if you're if you're a 13 year old or 14 year old in a youth court, you'll still be treated more leniently than a 17 year old in a youth court. Yes. Just also like to jump in there about offenders under 10 years of age. They can't be charged with a criminal offence, but they can be set a local child curfew of up to 90 days or a child safety order can be imposed for up to three months, sometimes 12. And if the order is broken, care can be considered. And so if you do get sentenced in a youth court, do you go to a normal prison or do you go to a, a youth prison? or You go to a youth offenders institution. And are they nicer? Is, it, is there a different purpose for them? Is it more sort of on rehabilitation rather than punishment or is it just a prison for young people? I think, I think it's a prison for young people, but I think they'd probably, uh, they'd probably focus more on rehabilitation, you would think. Cameron? Well, not all sentences... And a youth court do result in custody. There can be curfews um, imposed and rehabilitation orders. So there's quite a wide range of sentencing options for magistrates and district judges. And obviously, as Carolina said, the public are banned from getting in. What has it all been like for you three getting in the courts? Is it is it much harder? 
I'd say the atmosphere is generally more hostile or at least more serious, you know, given the reporting restrictions and the banning of uh, public attendance generally. I'd say as journalists, we face a little bit more resistance when we come into court by staff. So they're more likely to wonder who you are, what you're doing there. You're asked to be to identify yourself, flash your press card. So I think for us, it's probably a bit more annoying as we like to slip in and out of courtrooms. And there's been cases where reporters have outright been refused entrance to the youth court, which is obviously wrong. I, I fortunately have not had that issue, but I was once in a magistrate court and I was going through various courtrooms and one of them was sitting as a youth court and the district judge, which was surprising because unlike magistrates, they do tend to know the law at least, just told me, oh, you can't sit there. He asked me who I was. I explained I was a member of the press and he said, you can't sit here. It's a youth court. Now I was looking for another case, so I didn't want to didn't really have the time to argue the point that I very much, very much can sit in youth court. And so let's just dig a bit deeper into a couple of these case studies. So, Carolina, I know you covered the case of the 16-year-old who was labelled the emoji rapist. Uh, can you try and sum the case up in a few sentences? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Tamoy Bailey, we can identify him now because his anonymity got wavered because he turned 18. He essentially got convicted by a jury of rape and false imprisonment. He threatened a girl with a knife in the bathroom at his grandfather's house whilst he was asleep on the sofa, raped her and then sent laughing emojis to his friends on Snapchat. He told her, do I look as if I care when she pleaded with him? And um, yeah, it was he committed a robbery as well, uh, just hours after the, the offence. Blimey. And did he get treated more leniently because he was a youth? What was his sentence like, for example? He got sentenced to seven years. I believe he received an adult sentence. Sentencings for rape uh, cases range from four to 19 years custody. The maximum can be life imprisonment. Considering that in one case, the Court of Appeal held that a sentence of two years detention in a young offender's institution was not unduly lenient for a young man who had raped a six-year-old at the age of 15, I'd say Bailey's seven-year sentence is more akin to what an adult would have received. Right, that's really interesting. So he got an adult sentence. He got five years more than a youth would have got, even though he committed it when he was a kid. And just on something that you said earlier about anonymity, if you're under 18, you get automatic anonymity unless they turn 18 or we apply to get the restrictions lifted. Now, you actually got, you applied to the judge to get the restrictions lifted in this case. So how did you do that? So when I arrived to the court, um, the usher came up to me and waved the Section 45 order in my face and told me that I couldn't report the name. But at 18, the order essentially becomes void, but I still had to stand up and address the judge and make a representation. That got accepted. And how did you do that? How did you convince the judge? Well, I basically just kind of read through the laws of it and try to be really nice about it because at the end of the day it it is up to them they can keep it on there so I just kind of tried to persuade them that at this point it was in the public interest for the order to be lifted. I'm really interested in this because my natural instinct would be to say that that if you commit a crime under the age of 18 you should be kept anonymous because I, I feel like if we as a society have decided to give these kids anonymity because we think you know they committed the crime so young they deserve a second shot at life once they've served their time without this crime you know following them around for the rest of their life so if that 
is the logic shouldn't they be kept anonymous even if they are tried and convicted after they turn 18 now i know all three of you disagree with me on this so carolina <laughs> firstly why am i wrong okay in th- in this case specifically bailey brandished a knife at the woman tried to force her into recording herself saying i consent so we could use it as evidence then on the same day of the attack went off and robbed slapped and threatened to stab a 13 year old boy so this 17 year old at the time was clearly cold calculating and committed a serious offense also he was very close to the age of 18 and then of course afterwards at the time of sentence was an adult so in this case i'd say he doesn't deserve to have the right to be anonymous also you could argue that as i said it's in the public interest for people to know who this person is and what he's capable of sophia yes well uh Unsurprisingly, I agree with Carolina. This is not a 15-year-old who stole someone's iPhone. In cases where they're dangerous offenders, especially in sexual offenses, I think the right of the so-called child to keep their anonymity is outweighed by the right of women and girls and just people in the community to know that there is a dangerous predator amongst them when he comes out of prison eventually. I think with anonymity, for me, it's very much on a case-to-case basis. And there are, one of the reasons to lift anonymity does include persistent offending and just generally the dangerousness of the defendant, basically. Cameron? Well, when a court is considering the question of anonymity, the judge has to conduct a balancing exercise, which is to weigh up the rights of the defendant to rehabilitation and their welfare concerns and the rights to the public to know what's happening in a court. And I think as the scale slides towards public interest, anonymity should be lifted. Uh, and what would weight that scale would be, as Sophia has pointed out, prolific offending, serious offending, and of the seeming lack of uh, deterrence previous sentences haven't had on the defendant. And do you agree that I'm right in terms of the logic behind why we give these kids anonymity? Is it so that these crimes don't follow them around for life? Or is it just because we don't think, as a young person, their mental health can deal with the publicity at that stage? But then once they turn 18, even if they committed the crime a few years ago, then their mental health can deal with it, so their anonymity is lifted. I think the point of age, that that being 18, is an arbitrary decision. And of course, there might be somebody under 18 who's very mature, and somebody over 18 who's not so mature. But the reason why anonymity is imposed on young offenders, generally speaking, is because if it can be shown to the judge that by lifting their anonymity, their rehabilitation will be uh, harmed, then justice isn't served because then they're more likely to re-offend. However, if it cannot be shown nearly always by defence barristers that anonymity has any beneficial effect on their clients, then of course that argument becomes redundant. Fascinating. And so let's move on to another case study. Um, Sophia, you covered the very well-publicised case of the two women who were riding a night bus and they were attacked by a group of kids for refusing to kiss. Is there any more to the story than that? Yes. So um, three teenage boys, ages 15, 16 and 17, were at the time were on, on a night bus in Camden and there were two women on a date, not a couple, as was reported initially, uh, Melania Ramirez and Christina Hannigan. The boys could tell that the women were affectionate, obviously, on a date, so they asked them to um, 
perform sex acts. One of them made a scissoring motion and they asked them to kiss for them. And uh, Miss Hannigan confronted them. And when that happened, one of them was already pelting them with coins. They ended up surrounding the women and just punching them in the face, leaving them bleeding. They were both charged of um, abusive words and behavior. And in the end, they all got something called youth referral orders. And did you try and get them named? No, because I don't think anybody did, to be honest, because as horrible of a, it's a disgusting hate crime, but it's not quite meeting the threshold. There weren't rapists, murderers. They were just homophobic little something or others. Do you think it was to do with homophobia? Yes, I, I, I absolutely think it did have to do with homophobia. I mean, it had to do with homophobia. It also had to do with the element of, well, if you're a, a woman riding a night bus in London, you're pretty much taking a risk every time. You're just vulnerable to abuse. But so the trial judge uh, did say there was an element of homophobia, but she stopped short of calling it a hate crime. But I think some, at least some of the sentencing judges did. Yes, but it was definitely that wonderful combination of sexism and homophobia and just male entitlement. That we all know and love. Yes. Cameron, you covered the very, very, very well-publicised case of Jodie Chesney's murder. Tell us a bit about that case. Well, uh, Jodie Chesney was 17 when she was uh, murdered on March 1st, 2019 in Harold Hill, which is East London. Her killers were a 19-year-old by the name of Svensson Ongakui, who was the knifeman. And then the younger of the defenders was Aaron Isaacs, who was 17, who we can name because the anonymity was lifted upon sentence by Judge Wendy Joseph, QC at the Old Bailey. The background to the attack is really quite tragic in that it was a case of mistaken identity. Svensson Ongakui believed that the person who he was stabbed in the park had attacked him previously and stabbed him, I believe, in the thigh months earlier. This was wholly incorrect. So that gives us a uh, brief flavour of the case and the background of the defendants was very much petty drug dealing and petty offending. So they thought Jodie Chesney was a member of a gang that had attacked one of their gang members? I don't think they believed Jodie Chesney herself was a gang member. I think it was a total case of misidentification and that they were given a, a tip-off, which was incorrect, that the person who had stabbed Svensson Lockheed was in the park at the time, and of course he wasn't. And Jody Chesney, who had no connection to gangs, was stabbed. Right. And it, it, was, it was such a well-publicised trial. What, why do you think that was? Well, I think there was a part of it which struck Middle England, which is very much the core of the newspaper reading audience. I think she had met Boris Johnson, who was a girl scout. And I also think that it was seen to be an attack on such a typical teenage activity to be in the park with her friends after college where she was studying photography. And do you think the fact that she was white played either an implicit or explicit factor in the coverage? I think that race was was certainly an element in the coverage in that um, not so much that it was given more prominence than may have been because I suspect where a black teenager had been stabbed in the park, it wouldn't have been seen as quite as newsworthy. But if that is an instinct, which perhaps can't be backed up by fact. Did Aaron, did he get a less harsh sentence than the 19-year-old because he was younger or not? Um, his sentence was still fairly harsh because it was a manslaughter conviction in the connection of a murder. The sentences, 
minimum periods, I can't remember, but they were both jailed and will be serving in, in adult prisons after their 21st birthday, which is when, strangely in this country, you move from a young offenders to an adult prison. Right. And just sort of bringing it back to everyone now, what were all of your impressions of the judges? Because I always find whenever I'm in a youth court that they give them a proper telling off. I mean, they really come down much scarier and much more harshly than in an adult court and then sort of let them let them off at the end. They sort of exercise almost a parental role. Have you all found the same, Carolina? I have actually found that. Um, the judge has tended to be quite strict in their telling off and then kind of lenient towards the end there was this one case i covered of this robber the judge asked well do you take any drugs and he said oh i only smoke a little bit of weed and she kept on stressing oh i think we need to look into that a little bit more we need to have a pre-sentence report prepared and then she adjourned the sentencing for another day so that's pre-sentence report on his drug dependency could be assessed. And pre-sentence reports quite often sort of, they, they give a lot of mitigation, don't they? They give a lot of excuses. They're, they're quite a good thing to have, aren't they? Yeah, so I think that's probably what, what they were doing. That I do, I do think that whenever possible, the court tries to assist the youth. So if they're approaching their 18th birthday, they'll try and speed up the case as quickly as possible. Yeah, no, I've definitely noticed that they tend to be uh, paternal. And I was actually once covering two separate cases of two 13-year-olds with knives. And they were just kids that messed up rather than some posing young gangster or whatever. And in both cases, I remember the children already looked absolutely terrified to be in their court setting. And their parents looked like they were about to ground them until they were 40. So the judge just kind of compounded that atmosphere. It was very specific cases, but just kind of added to that. Let's just scare him straight. Yeah, there's definitely that element. Cameron? The the tone a lot of magistrates take and judges take with youth courses, they recognise that unless it's very serious, their powers of sentence are rather limited in terms of length, though of course they have a wide range. So what they try and do is lay it on verbally to compensate for the, the limitation in stature. And if the case is too serious, can they make the kid be tried in an adult court, Cam? Um, often, for a young person under, eight, under 18, say, charged with a murder, they won't, they won't appear at the um, youth court very long at all, but they'll be straight into the Crown Court. Very serious crimes are just taken straight to the adult Crown Court. What constitutes a very serious crime, manslaughter, murder and, uh, and rape would probably tip into the adult court rather than the youth court. Right, uh, but they'd still be treated uh, more leniently than an adult in that adult court? Their lawyer may say, would it be possible for, for a parent of my client to sit in the well of the court? Or would it be possible for my client to sit in the well of the court to try and put them at ease to avoid them going into the dock? But it's, it's, there's no guarantee that they'll be allowed to do that because of the impression it might create, especially in a multi-handed case, because it may make the other defendants look guilty and the, and the, and the young defendant look innocent. Right, and that's the day-to-day, but in terms of sentencing, they'd be treated slightly less harshly than an adult? Well, yes, you would, in statute, if a, if a person under 18 is convicted of murder, the, the, the starting point is a 12-year uh, minimum term, whereas if it's a defendant over the age of 18, it goes up to 25 years if they've brought a knife to the scene, which they nearly always have. So 
you, you know it's a big difference it's 12 years and it's 25 years and frequently you may see a young defendant sentenced for as many years as they've been alive if not for more years so so actually in terms of years in prison they may get less than an, an adult defendant but the severity of it may seem more striking because they may be as i said before spending a portion of their life in prison they haven't even lived yet all three of you, do you think the court process worked for your cases? Are they are they likely to offend again, Carolina? To give you a brief answer, I'd say yes. I think the process was good. In terms of reoffending again, I think that's a very case by case scenario. So for Bailey, do I think he'll reoffend? He committed a pretty severe crime to a 13 year old right after the brutal attack on the other woman one thing that the judge said to him right at the end of the sentence was i turn back to what you said to her she pleaded repeatedly with you and all you said to her while she brandished the knife was do i look like as if i care so does this person look likely to reoffend? potentially but also seven years might do a lot severe well I think overall the process did work. I do think there should have been some kind of punitive elements to their sentence, whether it was, I don't know, have them uh, clean up the bathrooms in a gay charity or <laughs> even just put them on an on a curfew just to keep them off the London night, night buses for a few weeks at least. But, but no, absolutely, I don't think they should have necessarily gone to prison. Maybe, maybe the process and more than the process, the publicity will make them think twice before doing something like this again. Good point. Cameron? Um, no, I don't think it does work because in the case I was asked about in the Jody Chesney, there were two other defendants who were, who were acquitted and the two who were convicted all had connections with criminality. I don't think the court orders were stringent enough and I suppose it is the role of a reporter and a journalist to be slightly wary of any um, system, even if the system itself does actually work. And just strictly one word from each of you, no more. If your kid brother or kid sister did something wrong and ended up in a youth court, would you be confident of the process they were going to face? Carolina. One word answers. One word answers. Mostly. Possibly. No, I'm not going to accept either of those. Yes or no answers. Carolina <laughs> no, that first. Said. Okay, I think mostly's fine. Possibly's not. Yes or no. Uh, I w- Two on the fence, Sophia. <sighs> mostly. Cameron, give me a yes or a no. But if you give me a mostly, I'm going to hang up and not invite you back on this podcast again. Uh, no. <laughs> I would say yes. And that's it for this episode. You've heard from Sophia Daru, Carolina Haranskar, who also produced this episode, and Cameron Charters. Our sound guy was Tom Bullock. Please do subscribe or leave us a rating, chuck us a review, throw us a kiss, tweet us on Track and Trace, allow us in your bubble, try not to hold us in contempt. It really does help us out. I'm your host for this episode, Charlie Jones. See you next time.